And as you also noticed, when you came in, you probably got handed a nice little uh, magnet here, a very nice magnet for the announcing upcoming brand new 8 a.m. service. We're going to three services. Why? Because we're pretty much bursting at the seams. And we'd love to do it. So you can put this on your refrigerator, kind of right next to the Domino's sticker or, or whatever you got there. And we thought, if you're wondering, gosh, should I go to the 8 a.m.? Is it really for me? Should I do it? The answer is yes. And we came up with a, a list of top 10 reasons why you should attend. The, so we couldn't be outdone, right? So, so reason number 10, premium parking, right? Yeah. We all know if you get here at five till nine, right, you're going to probably park out at Chesterfield Mall or, you know, it's a long walk. So that's no good. So you park wherever you like and maybe no one's even next to you in the, in the aisle. So, so think about 8 a.m. for just parking alone. Okay, it gets better. All right, reason number nine. Tom is fresher and funnier at eight. Now, <laughs> let's assume he's great at all three services, but the first one out of the gate, you want to be there for that one. That's what you want to be, be there. So, so he's fresh, he's, he's nimble, he's, uh, he's quick. It's very nice. Um, all right, uh, reason number eight, shorter lines at brunch. Oh, yeah, right? So exactly, very, exactly, very important. Who wants to wait in line? You just had a wonderful spiritual feeding. Now you want to get some, some pancakes and yummy stuff. You don't want to wait in line. So you go to the early service and it's there for the taking. All right, reason number seven, more elbow room. You have to choose the best seat in the house. Now we know there's some people here. You may be a fan of humans, but you don't like sitting next to them. You, can, you know when you go to the movie theater and someone has the audacity to sit right next to you, like, wow, there should be a space. So... So you come to 8 a.m., I guarantee there'll be, there'll be plenty of space and it'll be very nice. So think about that. Reason number six, and this is a biggie. Tim Keller said it's the thing to do. <laughs> we know how much we love us, some Tim Keller. So if he said, go to the 8 a.m., you better go to the 8 a.m. Just enough said, all right? Microphone drop. All right, number, seven, or number five, we're going the wrong way. Pancake breakfast. So folks, the very first, the inaugural 8 a.m. service will have a pancake breakfast unlike you've ever had, mainly because it's at church. But uh, it'll, be, it'll be very nice. Uh, we'd love to have you. There'll be games and prizes. I don't think there are, but just uh, pretend there are. All right, so we'd, uh, we'd love to have you. And I, uh, so that's, anyway, we'd love to have you there. Let's go to reason number four. This is the guilt trip. You will free up seats to the 930 service for guests, first timers and seekers. Do you really want to keep them from hearing the gospel? Do you? So now quick little aside, all right. You think about people around the world who are meeting like in secret churches because they'll be, you know, the government doesn't allow it and they're doing all these sacrifices and we can't wake up an hour earlier. What? Okay, so I'm just saying, let's, let's, let's think about those who don't know the Lord yet. We want to have them find a place when they come at 930. All right, number three, early risers are more productive. They get better grades and they're more optimistic. <laughs> Look it up. It's science. Okay, so it really is. It's... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important. So anyway, uh, pretty much that's all I got to say there. Let's go to number two. It's more spiritual. <laughs> now you're saying, oh, where do you get off? I'll tell you where I get off. You might have heard of a little book called Mark. Okay, check it. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and prayed. <laughs> now, I didn't write that, but that's, that's in the Bible. But, okay, so, but I will say this. So, you know, it didn't say Jesus stayed out late the night before, got up late, rolled in the church about 15 minutes late at the 11 o'clock. No, 
boom, early, making it happen, okay? Just like you got to exercise, right? Okay, which brings us to number one, the most important reason, number one reason why you should come to the 8 a.m. is you get first crack of the donut holes. Because <laughs> we know that's why most people come here. And especially if you treat, uh, for your family, you treat the donut holes as meal replacement, right? <laughs> You got the tool cups just spilling over the top. You want to be able to get the first crack of those. You don't want those to be taken. And all flavors are available. So just don't be, don't be shy. So uh, those are the reasons to come, right? So let's, can we, can we make that happen? Okay, good. Be, all right. Oh, no, really, please. I can't, I can't take full credit. That was also with the help of Mindy, wonderful Mindy Owens, and Peggy Dimitri who did the slide. So a big round of applause for them. They're very nice. And honestly, getting even five minutes on Tim Keller's calendar to get that quote was, was tough. So, but we did it. He said, green tree, 8 a.m., boom, it's going to happen. So, and I'm going to go rogue here. They didn't say to say this, but I thought this might be maybe a creative solution. It might be a lot to ask for everybody to go to the 8 a.m. all the time. Okay, fine. But I, I, tr- truly, if we could all go just once a month to the 8 a.m. service and the other just do as you like, that would alleviate our problem because we do have this, this issue. We have a problem when, when at the, nine, the new 930 service, it's kind of our choke point. And that is from survey after survey. Everybody wants the 930. I love me some 930. But honestly, when we're, when we're operating such that you invite a friend or a neighbor and they get here at 10 till and there's no parking spot and they come in here and they can't even sit together. There's a seat here, a seat here, a seat here. I mean, it's a great problem to have, but it's going to require from us a little on the giving side. And what are we willing to do? Um, gosh, even once a month, if everybody could do that, that would, that would solve our problem completely. So, so please prayerfully consider. All right, so that is that. And again, remember your magnets, they're all good. So as we've been going through our, our summer series here, it's, it's unforgettable lessons from Forgotten Kings. And I know when Tom asked me to, can you preach this summer, you know, back months ago, I said, sure. And he said, we're doing eight kings, and so that's, that's nice. And if you're wondering, which of the kings is the worst? Which is the most rock-bottom, complete loser, giant, hello, this the worst king ever, at least that we're studying, that's today. That's, if you're in for a treat, Ahaz is a piece of work. I mean, this guy is bad. I mean, he's, he's sacrificing children in fire, <laughs> uh, for real. Um, scary desecrating the temple, making deals with enemies. This guy was just bad news all around, right? So, and I thought one of the things about Green Tree that I I really like and appreciate is that we want to stay, when we can, culturally relevant. We want to be kind of, what's going on with society? How can we keep our finger on that pulse? Well, as you may have heard, and maybe you've been following along, the Emoji Movie came out on Friday night, okay? That's the long-awaited Emoji Movie, which (laughs) the youth here are are laughing about, certainly. Um, I think it got zero tomatoes on the tomato scale. So, um, but more importantly, I thought if we had to tell at least part of the story of Ahaz, like his immediate lineage, you know, father, Ahaz, and himself, and his son, what kind of emojis will we use to tell that story? So here you have Jotham, Ahaz, and, and Hezekiah. And I thought Jotham is, is uh, he's a great guy. In fact, if you read about him, he did mostly good stuff. He was a very good guy. So his emoji would certainly be the smiley face with the halo, right? Nicely done. And if you read about Hezekiah, which we'll hear about next week with Tom, he too was amazing. Probably the best king we had. So he gets definitely the halo with the, the smiley face. Maybe even a double halo. He was that good. But then I thought, gosh, for Ahaz, what do we do? And I, I looked long and hard. It's hard to find one because they don't really have an evil king uh, emoji. You might be surprised to know. But I thought the ogre was pretty good. So that's what we get for Ahaz. And if you want to go all social media on us, you want to follow along like the sermon in a sentence, like the sermon in a hashtag would be hashtag 
don't be like Ahaz. Okay, so if you want to, it's probably trending or will be very soon. So if you want to keep that up, that's just where we are. So again, that's how we roll and that sets us up for today. So, um, and truly the thing about Ahaz is he's written about both in 2 Kings, but also 2 Chronicles. And the, the accounts are slightly different. But basically, they both end up with the guy was a chump, okay? So he was not a good guy. But let's read for just a few of the, of the verses, not the entire chapter. So as we look at 2 Kings and the verse 16, or chapter 16, 1 through 4. In the 17th year of Pekah, who was actually the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, kind of a short tenure. And here's the kicker. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, his God, as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. And it gets better. He even burned his son as an offering, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and he made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Let's pray. Uh, Dear gracious and loving Father, we are um, so honored and thrilled to be a part of this community, to be here today, to worship you, um, to, to sing your praises and as we, as we think about King Ahab and the kind of person he was and, and the example that he set that, that is not to be followed, Lord, um, help us to, to focus right now, no matter what we have on our hearts, no matter what things are pressing, no matter what worries we have, Lord, could you help us just for the next few minutes, put those aside. They can't be acted upon right now anyway. But put those things aside and right now, Lord, please open our hearts that we would listen to you, to what you have to say to each one of us. Your word is new, it's exciting, it's fresh. Help it to to penetrate our hearts and as we look at the idols of Ahaz and maybe even the idols that are in our hearts so we could get rid of them and follow you more closely. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So looking a little bit more closely at verses two and three, Ahaz, uh, he, he there, did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God as his father David had done, but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. So, and uh, I knew someone was going to leave. I didn't know it was going to be a baby. But uh, <laughs> thank you. I'll be here till noon. Um, so, but, but what this is basically talking about is, yes, they're referring to his father, not his, legitimate, his, his biological father, but his father David, the man after God's own heart. They're basically saying Ahaz did not do those things. And specifically what, what's being talked about here is Ahaz was uh, one of the first kings to basically be a state sponsor of Baal worship. Now, we've had Baal worship described in, over the past couple of weeks, but in case you, you need a refresher, Baal was, was essentially this god, this person you, you would try to go to where in exchange for your worship of him and, and giving of things and money and, and, and incense and all the things you would do, Baal would return to you two things would give you fertile, he was basically a god of fertility, fertile crops and good land and, and fertility from a kid perspective, give you offspring. So instead of saying, Lord, I, I, I would love to have my crops do well and I'd love to have some kids, uh, you know, can you please, you know, if that's a part of your will, that'd be great. He's saying, I have to have that at all costs. I've got to have this wonderful crop. I have to have these kids. And so what we're seeing here is good old Ahaz is taking what is a good thing? There's nothing wrong if you're a farmer to want your crops to do well. 
There's nothing wrong if you're a business person or you're a teacher to have a, a well-run classroom. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with wanting kids or even wanting a particular relationship. Maybe you're desirous to, to find that special someone and it hasn't happened yet. It's okay to have, those are all good desires. But when those desires go from a thing to being elevated to being the thing, that's when God says, okay, I have a problem with that. Because it's being elevated above what it should do and we're seeking it as we've learned these past few weeks that idolatry is not about the statues. It's not about the, the shrines. It's not about the altars. It's about a motivation of our hearts. And I thought it was fascinating to see this picture here. A few years ago, the Israeli government was, was building a brand new highway going through this very land of what was once the kingdom of Judah. And they found one of these shrines and they found, interestingly, these little tiny, uh, you know, almost lucky charms, little kind of statuettes that, that people would carry around with them. And, and they thought, this is, this is what will bring me luck. This, this will bring me what I need. And, and, and it's easy to get confused saying, hey, no statues here, no problem. You know, I, I don't have an issue with that. But think about the things we do carry around in our pockets and our purses. Maybe, maybe it's a smartphone, uh, the, the credit cards, and the money we have. It's, it's, it's a key fob to a particular car. And I want to be clear, none of those things are bad. Those are all lovely things. But if any one of those or the things we do with those things gets elevated above a thing to being the thing, that's when God's saying, your, your heart is seeking after something that's not what I, that, that's not what I give you. That, that, that's the fault, the, the title today, the fault in our hearts. You know, not borrowed from the John Green novel, in case you're wondering. Uh, it actually comes from Shakespeare and Julius Caesar. But, but the point is our hearts are broken. They have emptiness. We have holes. We have fissures that can only be fulfilled in a satisfactory way through what Jesus Christ offers in us, what God gives us. We try to fill it with anything else. It might temporarily give us some, some pleasure, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to fade out. It's like if you've ever been hiking, and, and I remember years ago I was hiking uh, in Colorado, and, and this idea of the false summit. Like, you, I think we're there. And you get up there, oh my goodness, there's a ton more. It's, it's just false summit after false summit after false summit. You never get there if you try to find your satisfaction in those kinds of things. And so I remember when I became a Christian when I was in junior high, whereas my daughters would tell me, Dad, it's pronounced middle school. So um, I didn't know it was a thing. So, uh, so it's called middle school now. Uh, and also Jim, you can't say Jim anymore either. Apparently it's called uh, PE. But in case you want to know what the kids are saying, that's how you need to talk to them. But uh, <laughs> I uh, pause for laughter. Okay, so, uh, but I became a Christian in, in, in middle school. And I remember as I started to read a little bit more of the Bible that I, I'd, never, I'd never done before. And I came across the Ten Commandments and I started to read them. I thought... I'm not too bad. I'd do pretty well against these. And, and what's interesting, think about the very first one. It's God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And I was thinking statues. I was thinking, you know, a, a little graven image. I was thinking uh, a shrine. I was like, I don't have any statues. There's no shrines, no altars. You can search my entire room, under my bed, in my, my, anywhere you want. I, I got nothing. I, I don't have any gods before me, before you, Lord. And yet what I didn't realize is I was on the cusp of about to enter those wonderful magical teen years where I would elevate all sorts of things to being more important than God. Popularity, fitting in, having the right clothes, being included in this group, all these things that were just so, if I didn't have that, I was going to die. If I don't have that, oh, I'm having a bad hair day. I did have hair once. You know, whatever it is, like, yeah, in case you want, I can't picture him with hair. Well, there's pictures. Anyway, so there's photographic evidence. Um, but... But what's interesting is, is if you've ever heard or had a psychology class, there's this idea called the primacy effect. 
And the primacy effect is this. When, when people are confronted or, or given uh, a list of things or they're given a, a series of data points or anything like that, we tend to place importance and weight and value and we recall and remember and just really have this, this connection to the very first one. It's called the primacy effect. I thought God was pretty, pretty smart to set up the, the Ten Commandments the way he did. So he's basically saying, if you don't get the first one right, the other ones aren't going to fall very well. So if you lift or, or hoist even good things up above me that, that are more important to you than I am, then very likely that's going to become your idol. You're, you're driven by your heart to have that be your idol. And if that's the case, then as you go through the rest of the commandments, you will likely lie to get that thing for that idol. You will steal for that idol. You will covet. You will kill, not literally, but you will, you will, in your heart, you will, you'll be vengeful and angry when that thing is taken from you or denied you. You will dishonor parents for that idol. You will not treat the, the Sabbath day the way it should be treated. I mean, all these things that we'll start to do, and God is so clear to say, I, I'm so, I should be so at the forefront of your heart and your mind and your soul. This is what I want to happen, and when that, that's not there, all the rest really start to, to, to fall away. So, so be, be thinking about how, uh, you know, what those idols are, and if you recall a couple weeks ago, it was Tom Warner asked folks to, type, to text in what you think your idols might be. You know, what things are so important to you? What would you just be just devastated if it was removed from you? I mean, we can all be sad about things, but what just, it would just wreck your life. Is that perhaps an idol? Uh, what do you daydream about? You know, where does your mind drift when you have nothing going on? Where, where does your mind typically go to? And there's a good indication that might be what you're idolizing. May not be, but it could be. And I'll tell you, so mine, just a moment of honesty here, mine's approval. I, 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 my idol, and I struggle with it a lot, is approval. I, I want people to like me. I want them to think I'm funny. I want them to, to look up. I, I really seek that out. And that, that idol alone, look what it causes me to do. I will exaggerate stories to the point of, of, of lying to, to make it funny. I will cut people off to, to make sure I get my, my line in. I will, I will, I will t- grab the spotlight at parties. And I'll do all these kinds of things that because of this one idol that I elevated way up here, nothing wrong to want to be liked, but if it becomes the thing, the thing that just drives you, then God says, okay, I, that's, we, we got an issue. Let's, let's not go there. So, so what is it for you? What things do you have that, that, that kind of creep back in and, and rise up to the point where it's crowding God out? And that would be your idol. Whether you have a statue to go with it or an altar, doesn't matter. So let's dig a little bit deeper with our good friend, uh, not so good friend, uh, Ahaz, and look here what he does in the next couple of verses. Ahaz, he even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now, real quickly, what he's referring to is when God brought his people into the promised land, into Canaan, as they came in, there were all sorts of, of idolatry and, and worship of gods and statues and all this stuff. And God said, wipe it out. It's got to go. Burn it to the ground. Knock it out. I, I need a clean slate. Get out of here. And I want you to come in, set up the worship for, of me the way I've intended. And little by little, the people of Israel and, and, and Judah, they had let these idols kind of creep back into now where we have the head of Judah officially blessing and sponsoring. Hey, Baal worship. That's awesome. I do it under every hill, uh, every tree, uh, on every high place. Not, not good. 
and specifically here, and I gotta be careful in, in how I talk because I know some tender ears in the audience, but, but this idea of, of sacrificing uh, a child, what, what happened, in fact, Chronicles, Second Chronicles says multiple children. So, so without being too, too graphic, they would take this statue, in fact, behind the, the drawing there, it was, uh, this is actually not Baal, this is Moloch, okay? So Moloch was, was a god basically who was similar to Baal, but in this difference. When you prayed and worshiped and sacrificed to Moloch, what, what you would get in return, at least you hoped, was financial abundance and financial well-being as well as a lot of kids. So quick recap, Baal is crops and kids, Moloch, cash and kids. Okay, so if you want to just remember that for the future, maybe post about that later on. They'll get your kids, your friends talking. All right, so, um, but here's what happened in, in all seriousness. He, on multiple occasions, would would to this statue, they'd heat this thing up, the furnace hot, they'd have this fire, it basically would, would throw kids in. It's almost, almost horrific to even think about. It's abhorrent that someone would be that cruel to say, I have kids here, I want more kids, so I'm gonna get rid of the ones I have to maybe get more. It just, it doesn't even make sense. But, but the heart motivation of Ahaz was so strong to wanna do it. And of course, I look around and we say, no one here is sacrificing kids in fire. Now, let's, let's just be thankful that's not going on, right? That, are we clear on that? Okay, good. However, before we kind of pat ourselves on the back, we don't do that kind of stuff. Think about in what ways we do sacrifice our kids and what kind of altars we do put them on. For instance, are we sacrificing our kids on the altar of our own unfulfilled athletic dreams? You know, I, I want to be clear, I'm not anti-youth sports, don't hear me wrong, I love youth sports, but, but to what degree is that youth sports a thing for you and become the thing, or is it just a thing? You know, that, that's where the, the point is. Or let's say, you, you, the same thing could be true, the altar of academic achievement. Please, let's work hard and get good grades, but if that becomes the thing, that, that if I don't get to this college, I don't go here, then everything's lost, that would be, that would be an idol. And God's saying, I want to be first, not second or third or fifth. Or maybe it's a relationship. You have a relationship, a legitimate good relationship here. You're sacrificing the idol for the approval of someone else or a different kind of relationship or a relationship that shouldn't be pursued whatsoever. So, so no, we're not throwing people in fires. But in a very real way, there's similar kinds of things going on because it's the heart motivation. Yes, Ahaz did it in a much more gruesome way. But the heart difference between what he was doing and what we're doing is identical. The same motivation is, thank you, God, appreciate it, that, that's lovely, good suggestion, I'm going to go and get me mine, and I have to have it, so if I don't have it, all is lost. And so that's what we're trying to, trying to step away from. But if, if we had more time, uh, I promise we'll be done by 1, 1.30. Um, <laughs> that's really funny. So... Uh, Make sure you're paying attention. Um, but we, we could read on further how he went in to, and to curry favor, Ahaz, to curry favor with, with an, a potential invading army. He went into the temple, the, the house of the Lord, and he took silver and gold and things that were intended for God's use and his use only and used them to, for his protection, for his safety, for his security. It just, it, it goes on and on. And even Chronicles goes on to, 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 to literally chronicle the bad things that he did. But here's the good thing about our wonderful and gracious Savior because it's easy to say, gosh, Steve, man, you're pretty heavy on this idol stuff. And, uh, but God's, God's serious about it. We've been talking about this, this for weeks now. But what I, what I love about at least Ahaz in general, not him as a person, but it's how God treated him. We, we don't see the end of Ahaz in the Old Testament. He's actually mentioned in the New Testament. 
In fact, he's mentioned in Matthew when the genealogy of Jesus Christ is mentioned. Matthew's given kind of the background. Where did Jesus come from? What's his lineage? And here's just a few select verses. Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, a few generations later. And here's Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, the awesome, guy, the awesome king. And then eventually leading us up to Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. Now, there is an example of God giving an honor that Ahaz does not deserve. You know, Ahaz, why should Ahaz be, be included in the lineage of Jesus? In fact, when you look at the, the, the specific genealogy in Matthew, it's not a complete genealogy. It's kind of a representative genealogy so that there's actually several generations that are left out. So some people that are mentioned here in Kings and, and Chronicles that aren't listed here, but Ahaz is. And sometimes I wonder, why would God do that? Why would God give this guy even any kind of, a, of an honor that he did not deserve? And I thought maybe it's to remind us of the honor and the grace that we don't deserve that he gives to us. Because no matter what your position is, what, what idols you might be struggling with, or, or things that are crowding out your love of God, or you've maybe even never approached him in the first place, God doesn't leave us there in, in, in the squalor and, and the idolatry and the, and the ridiculousness. He gives us the grace. And, and every so often, he gives us glimpses of those in our everyday lives. And I, I had a situation like this a couple years ago. I, I travel a lot for my, my work. I, I mean, 50 plus flights a year, it's, it's a lot back and forth, this and that. And I, I have kind of my system of going to the airport and much to my wife's chagrin, I, I often cut it very close, um, really too close. In fact, my record post 9-11 is 13 minutes, which uh, I'm not very proud of, but uh, I was in actually the, the east terminal parking garage, parking my car, and then 13 minutes later made my flight. Actually, I'm very proud of that. I, uh, <laughs> that was awesome. I should make a movie of that one. Um, but I feel bad at some of the people I knocked over. But anyway, um, so I was flying actually from, from St. Louis down to Austin, Texas. And at the time, there was no direct nonstop flight to, to Austin. So I defined a combination of, of the best flight possible with the best price. And that routed me through Chicago. Now, quick you know, geography lesson. Here's St. Louis. Here's Austin. Here's Chicago. Let's go north to go south. That sounds good. Um, it was a bummer. So it's going to take up most of my day. Fine. So I, I go to the airport and I got there for me. I thought pretty good. 45 minutes ahead of time. Like I thought, ooh, I'm living large. So what should I do with all my free time? And I, I go there. I go to TSA. I hand them my, my boarding pass. And that guy says, well, can I have your, your ID? Oh, sure. No problem. No, no, no. I was, I was screaming, you know, wrath of Khan. You know, I was just so mad. I couldn't believe it. I was so mad. I, I, I was just, I was bent out of shape. I thought, no way. It's 45 minutes. Even if I have, could have called Marianne to help come bring it to me, it just wouldn't have worked out. So I had to resign myself. Okay, I'm going to miss this flight. I cannot believe it. And I, I grabbed my boarding pass and I got in the car. I had to go back to the parking garage. Didn't you just come here? Yeah. You know, I had to, to walk. I had to drive home, come back. And during that drive, I got to tell you, I was uh, this mixture of the five, uh, you know, the five phases of grief mixed with the seven levels of hell from Dante's Inferno. It just, it was just not, it was just a melange of, it was just bad. It was just, it was, it was, it was ugly. I, I was ticked off. I did have the wherewithal, by the way, to at least call the, the, the airline and say, here's the deal. I missed my flight. What's going to happen? This guy said in a very kind of officious manner, well, sir, it's going to be at least $75 uh, change fee. And then whatever the difference in price is from the new fare to what you purchased originally. And I can't tell you that to get to the airport. 
I said, first of all, you sound really weird when you talk. You know that. Actually, I didn't say that, but I thought it. So, um, but, but I, okay, great. And so I was doing the math in my head and, and just fun fact, this is free travel advice as a part of the sermon. When you do miss the outbound of any flight, when you then walk into the airport, it's like you're starting from fresh. They don't care whether you bought your ticket 10 months ago or whenever. You're coming in cold, and whatever that day of price is, which is usually hundreds and hundreds of dollars more, plus my change fee, this was not something I could charge to my client. I was going to have to eat it myself. I thought, gosh, three, $400 of just a stupid air. I was, I was mad. Ugh. So I finally parked the car. I get in there. I go to the ticket counter. And at this point, I've... I've shifted past the anger to just, I am just sad, I'm bummed out, I'm remorseful, I just, I'm now kind of pleading with almost, would you take pity on me, just can you help me out? So I explained to the woman what, what's going on, and, and she was a very pleasant, you know, middle-aged woman, very great spirit about her, she seemed to be upbeat, and said, sure, I'll see what I can do for you, and uh, hand me your, your driver's license, took my boarding pass, and went over here, and then she's, she's ticking away, doing her, her thing on, on the, the terminal, and it seemed like about 10 minutes went by, and I thought, my goodness, what in the heck is, what's taking so long? Am I going to get a flight at all? This is not good. So when she gets my attention and motions for me to come over, and we actually walk to the, she comes around the counter, so we're now standing right next to each other. She says, here you go, sir. Actually, you were headed originally through, through Chicago, and, uh, and, and actually they're also experiencing some weather up there. And so I'm, I'm going to route you through Houston and get you in an hour earlier than you would have on your original flight. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, I like this. All right, woo. <laughs> kind of, so uh, that was for Chip, by the way. So, um, and, uh, and so I thought, well, that's great. I said, well, then I, got my, I started to get my wallet. So, so what's, what's the damage? I mean, probably not going to be that good. She says, oh, no, it's taken care of, fully paid for. Oh, I like this. This is very good. I said, really? What do you mean? She says, oh, airline's covered it. It's, it's covered. It's all paid. You're, you're, you're clear. I thought, wow, that's, that's fantastic. And, and I started to appreciate it. I, mean, I didn't even know what to do. Appreciate that. Thank you. I started to walk away. And I, I noticed next to her, her airport ID, you know, she had this lanyard where her airport ID, if you kind of swipe it to get indoors and stuff, was right next to it. About the same size as her ID was this large, what seemed like a three or four inch, just large silver cross. I mean, this thing was, this wasn't like a little decorative piece. This was a giant, hey, I'm making a statement. I mean, this is kind of, if this were made of wood, it'd be something a monk would wear in the Middle Ages, you know, oh, domine, you know, it's like the big boom right there. <laughs> so, not sure what that means, but anyway. So, 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 I, so I'm looking at that and I said, oh my goodness, what, uh, I said, I, I couldn't help but notice your cross. Are you by chance a believer? Are you a Christian? She said, why, yes, I am. I said, well, thank you so much. I got to tell you, your spirit, the way in which you go about your job, you're just so kind and friendly and just, I, I really appreciate that. I mean, you are, you're an asset to the kingdom. Thank you so much for, for what you're doing here. She said, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. That really means a lot to me. She said, every morning I wake up. This gets me every time. She says, I say, thank you, Jesus, for this day, for this job. Would you help me please make someone's day today? She said, sir, today that was you. <laughs> and I, I stood there just like now. I, I, this happened five years ago. And I start, I mean, I, the, I start big time waterworks. So tears are coming down. I'm starting to cry. I don't know what to do. And I said, I'm sorry. I have to go now. I'm crying. <laughs> and I, so so I'm walking away, and I'm, I'm like trying to clear my eyes. I'm bumping into people. I don't know what's going on. I get up to the TSA. I don't even know what I even have. I just met this Christian, and she gave me a bunch of money. It's awesome. It's so cool. I mean, it just, I, I, was, I was beside myself. I just, 
I mean, and, and I got on that flight, and I guess it was one of the best flights I've ever been on, because, even though it was a center aisle seat. But I mean, I was in the, aisle, the center seat. You know, you're trying to, you don't want people to, you know, anyway. So, um, again, 8 a.m. service people, come on, you can stretch out. It's beautiful, all right? So, that's a callback, by the way. So, um, and so, I was just so thrilled. I, w- I was so blown away by the grace that she showed me. And, and let's be honest, we've all probably had a situation where a salesperson has been gracious to you, and that's nice. They, they've honored a coupon beyond its expiration date. They've given you a sale price on an item that wasn't on sale. They have given you maybe an employee discount that just they only should give to family and friends, but they, they gave to you. And that's nice. But what, I, what struck me about this situation was that, that those are usually, those situations are like kind of happenstance, just top of their head, just no big deal, it just kind of came to them. This thing with this woman, the three things that struck me were, this was pre-planned. This was something she was going to do for me before I even put on my shoes in the morning. This was coming my way. Number two, she, she paid money that I should have owed. I mean, I broke the rules. The ones I didn't even know I broke, I just, I, I cut it too close. I mean, honestly, had I got there 90 minutes ahead of time, like TSA says, I probably could have driven home and come back and made it happen. But no, I'm too special for those rules, right? So, so I broke these rules, and, and she, she paid that, that debt for me. And then lastly, and the part that I think just was the kicker, was she actually made my situation better than I had to, to start with. I mean, I was getting in an hour earlier than my flight, my original flight was going to let me get there. And I thought, of course, the, the, the analogy is hopefully not lost on you, what God, and how gracious God is to us, but in a couple of key differences. God is not limited by just making one person's day every day. You know, there's no limit on, on his grace and how far it can expand. And it wasn't just like he woke up on a particular day and said, I'm going to make someone's day today. From the beginning of time, he had you on his mind. He knew what you're going to be going through. He knew exactly the struggles you're going to face, the idols you're going to, going to seek towards. And even then, he said, no, I would rather have a relationship with you and send my own son to the cross and pay that penalty, pay your fine. And because of that, make your situation immeasurably better not just more joy and fulfillment now, but beyond that, to, to heaven for, forever. I mean, if you ever stop and think how long have, uh, forever is, it's, 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 you almost can't even get your head around it. He says, I love you so much, I want you to be with me in heaven. But it, but it requires of us, friends, if, if you've never come to Jesus Christ and said, please take my idols, take the bad stuff, take the things I should have done, take the things that I, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping in my own little secret little place over here, I'm not gonna let anybody ever see. Or if you've been a Christian for a while or, or, or whatever amount of time and you're kind of like the kingdom of Judah and, and the beginning of the salvation was awesome, I'm, clean, I'm not going to be that way around to clear all this stuff out. And, but little by little, the, the idol worship's kind of crept back in and this thing's gotten out to where God is now 6th, 7th, or 8th on the list. If you will come to him, bring those idols, bring your shortcomings, bring the things, the, the broken places. If we return to our emoji example, he will take that heart of yours, that broken heart that, that with the fault and the fissure and, and the brokenness and the emptiness, and he will not only mend your heart completely, but he will fill that heart to overflowing so that you can then go out and be an example and grow his kingdom for others. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we, you're beyond words for us to even describe, but we know for a fact that we call out to you and you listen. We reach out to you from the depths, we, we, from the midst of our idols and our selfishness and the things that we've put in front of you. Every time we turn to you, 
with humility. You respond with grace and with love and, and with blessings beyond what we can, can even imagine. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the people you've drawn here. Thank you for the folks who make this whole, this whole church work from the staff to the worship band to the volunteers to the Sunday school teachers to the people working the soundboard. Lord, thank you for, for all the people who make this work for your kingdom. And I do pray, Lord, that we could with, with confidence and joy know that when we bring these things to you, you will separate them from the east to the west and to never bring them back in our face that those are gone forever. And then in that joy, in that forgiveness, in that freedom, we can then go out to serve you and love you and experience the depth and the joy of living that comes through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.